I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome. Today, I am so excited to be here with my friend, Tiffany Dupu, who is the founder and CEO of The Crew. Tiffany, welcome. Thank you for having me, Rami. So Tiffany, we want to hear all about you and your extraordinary career. How did you get your start? My first actual job was as a telemarketer. Hmm. It was the best job that I've ever had. It was the job I hated the most, (laughs) but it was probably the best job that I ever had because it taught me that you could get rejected over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I'm old enough that when I say I was a telemarketer, it means I was one of those people calling people's homes during dinner. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. One of those people, you know, you get rejected a lot, but the world doesn't fall apart. And it certainly set the pace for my future career as a fundraiser and as a leader. But I would say that my career begins with my life's work of advancing women and girls, not necessarily with a specific job, because after that job, it became really clear to me that I needed to align my career and my livelihood with where I wanted to create impact in the world. So my career actually begins before I was even born. My mom found out she was pregnant with me when she was 19 years old. My parents are from Watts, LA. And in the mid 1970s, it was a rough place. It was a rough time. My mom didn't know anything other than the environment that she grew up in, but she knew there had to be something different. So she encouraged my dad with the collaboration of an uncle who was an army recruiter to join the army. And I was born at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington, nine months later. Wow. Dad had to kick an addiction to even be able to pass the physical exam to get into the military. My parents broke a very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in one generation based off of that move. And my mom became what I call a non-paid working mom. Uh, some, Some people call them stay-at-home moms, but I think we're all working moms. Some of us are compensated for our labor and some of us are not. Not that, yes. Unfortunately, when I was 16, my parents got divorced and probably the first flames of my feminism began to get sparked or started to brew when it became very clear that all of the economic, social, political capital that I thought was our families, of course, I wouldn't have articulated it that way when I was 16, was actually only our dads because Mm -hmm. he was the one who ended up going to college on the GI Bill, so had a college degree. He was the one who ended up getting a PhD in theology. He was the one who had pastored the churches, who was the beacon in the community. He was the one who earned the income. Unfortunately, after the divorce, my mom spun back into that very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband. And I spent my 20s trying to save my mom uh, before realizing that you can't do that. If any of you have ever tried to save someone else, it doesn't work because we're each the most powerful change agents in our own journeys. So even though some people will refer to it as a career, from my perspective, I'm just getting up every day trying to connect with women and to do what them, what my mom did to me, which is to tell them every day, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved. You can do this because she didn't have 
have a mother that did that for her. And I know the difference that it can make. So after that telemarketing job, basically every job I've ever had since then, every dollar I've donated, every board I've sat on, every social media post um, is very much focused on how do we harness women and girls' talent and ingenuity. I right now am founder and CEO of The Crew. We'll talk about that. But before this, I was on the launch team for Lean In. I spent four years at a technology startup called Levo that was very focused on millennial women and helping them to elevate their careers. I previously ran a nonprofit that trained women to run for political office. I was a major gift officer at Simmons, in, which is a women's college in Boston. Before that, I raised money and was on the founding team of a really magical place called Seattle Girls School in my hometown that really was focused on middle school girls and ensuring that they had some proficiencies in math, science, and technology. Even though I fulfill different functions in those organizations and companies, Rami, it's all been, what can I do in order to ignite our potential? That's amazing. And what an incredible calling and sense of purpose you have and have followed, right? Without distraction, which is incredible. And I didn't know that story. It makes me actually think about your book, Drop the Ball, which I love and obviously resonates with me as a working mother because it's so much about social roles and and men's and women's roles in a relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about Drop the Ball and what inspired you to write it and what you think we should all take away from it? Yes. So I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be someone who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. I am still. (laughs) So if you're one of those people, it's definitely a book for you. I used to think that dropping the ball was a terrible thing to do. It meant that you were failing to take timely action, that you were disappointing yourself, your family, your colleagues. In my case, as dramatic as it sounds, if I ever dropped the ball, it meant that I was disappointing all Black people, as in they're never going to hire another person again if I screw this up. A lot to carry. Yeah. A lot, lot to carry. And what happened wasn't that I developed some strategy for getting over this. Uh, What happened was that I reached a point in my life where I had a life-changing event that caused me to be unable to keep all of the balls beautifully, you know, juggling in the air with my A-type personality. For me, it was the birth of my first child. That's when all the balls came crashing down and I couldn't figure out like how I was going to manage being a really ambitious woman in the workplace and how I was going to manage being a mom. But I've spoken to hundreds of women. It could be that you finally got the promotion and realized, Ooh, it's a lot harder to be the boss than I thought it was going to be. It could be that you are dealing with the diagnosis It could be that all of a sudden you need to care for a parent who has become ill. For some people, it's a viral pandemic, an economic recession, and all of a sudden we cannot keep all of these balls in the air. What happened to me was that when I had my drop the ball moment, I made this observation. I call my aha moments Tiffany's epiphanies. And one of my biggest Tiffany's epiphanies was that Armageddon never hit, (laughs) meaning that all of the things I was always terrified would happen if I ever dropped a ball. Once I dropped the ball and couldn't control dropping it, none of those things materialized. No one ever called me to tell me, I don't love you anymore, or I'm not going to be your friend because you didn't respond to my text message or you missed the party. 
my boss didn't actually fire me. I was always like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. Nobody fired me. No one came to read me my Miranda rights. Um, I, I live in New York City where you have to move your car back and forth across the street for this thing called alternate side parking, which is so annoying if you're from the Pacific Northwest and can just leave your car parked anytime for as long as you want. And if you don't move it, you get this bright orange citation. Well, one of the things that I dropped the ball on as part of being a new working mom is moving the car because you see, I would always be rushing home to relieve the childcare provider and I wouldn't have time to move the car before I needed to relieve her. And then I'd get into bath time and there'd be dinner and there'd be all these other things. And those bright orange citations started piling up. I don't know how many of those you can get before they come and arrest you, but it's a lot just so, (laughs) and no one ever comes. So I decided to reappropriate the term because it became very clear to me, Tiffany, why are you feeling all of this pressure? None of the things that you're terrified would ever happen have actually happened. Why is it that you felt all of this responsibility to never drop a ball to begin with? And that's what took me on a three-year journey that I really hope other women don't have to go on, which is why I wrote the book, just read the book to figure out how to get clear what matters most to you. So you're not constantly trying to live up to other people's expectations how to get clear about what your highest and best use is in achieving what matters most to you. So you're not just saying yes to every request and everything that comes over the fence. And then finally, how do you meaningfully engage other people in your life to explicitly get the help that you need so that you're not shouldering all of this burden and responsibility when we have so many resources at our disposal? I love it. And I'm really working on trying to drop a few more balls and give myself permission. And I talk a lot about this myself. I get this question. So I want to pose it to you, which is especially with COVID and increased responsibilities at home for a lot of women as a result of the pandemic, I've advised women to be candid with their managers and say, look, I'm at hundred percent capacity or I'm at 110% capacity what do you want me to prioritize? So I'm getting done what you need me to do. And whenever I give this advice, they say, I'm so afraid if I do that, I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get demoted. or I'm not going to be in line for the raise or the promotion. What do you say to that? I think it's the way that you frame the conversation. So first of all, I think that you schedule that conversation. So you let your manager know in advance. I have some ideas about how we can move this company forward or this team forward or this group forward. I wanna schedule some time with you to talk about that. And then when you start the conversation, you're gonna start with yourself. You're gonna start with what your manager is up at night thinking about, which is how the hell are we gonna meet our Q4 target? Okay, you're gonna say, listen, I know that we need to meet our Q4 target. I know that we need to hit X, Y, or Z. And I'm fully committed to doing that. In fact, I'm excited about making sure that we do that. One of the observations I've made is that I am most useful in helping us to achieve that target when I'm externally facing with the client. And so I want to spend most of my time there to ensure that we get there. One of the other things I've noted, though, in just logging my time is that I'm spending a lot of time on other things that are not related to me focusing on this external client. And I'm wondering if you're open to a conversation about how I might retool what I'm working on and my priorities to ensure that we hit the goal because I want us to hit it out of the ballpark. There is no manager who would not be blown away, first of all, by the fact that someone on their team cares about what's keeping them up at night. (laughs) Two, has a level of self-awareness to understand what their highest and best use is and helping 
them to achieve the goal. And then number three is coming to them proactively about trying to develop a strategy and a solution. And that opens up the aperture. That's not a, that's not a, I'm going to get fired. That's a, oh my gosh, who is this person on my team? Who's, who's the superstar that I need to figure out how to leverage better. And that's how you open up the space for the things that might need to come off of your plate. I think the other thing for us to always keep in mind, and it's easier when we're also managing people is that your boss does not remember what they've told you. <laughs> in the past. You're just doling out priorities. And so one of those helpful things that you can do is actually make more apparent and known what is on your plate. That your manager can also say, oh my God, that was like two weeks ago. We had to put out that fire. That's done. Don't, don't work on that anymore. I didn't even know you were working on that. Please stop. And that also will help you. So part of that third piece of dropping the ball, which is meaningfully engaging other people, is really finding out what are the top three things that you need from me, as opposed to the things that I have in my mind and in my imagination that people need in order for me to really move this relationship or this team forward. And by the way, we should be having those conversations, not just in our professional lives, but also in our personal lives as well. Fairy God Boss audience, I hope you're all paying attention because this is solid gold right here. This is, this is like, I've never heard it better, Tiffany. This is brilliant, brilliant advice. So thank you for that. Uh, another question that I get from our audience all the time is about how do I find a mentor? Everybody says I need to mentor a network. Everybody says I need to find mentors and sponsors, but I don't, I'm stuck in my apartment. I'm working 24 hours a day. How do I do that? Yes. So the first question I always ask people when they share that they're looking for a mentor is who are you mentoring? Ooh. The first question I always ask, because if you're someone who invests in other people and takes the time to mentor them, you will very quickly learn how to find a mentor um, because you will be learning from the people who you are mentoring. So, you know, I would say the people who I mentor that I've learned a lot from and that I've taken their strategies and leveraged them to support me are one, the ones who proactively ask me for insight or advice first, and then do a, what I call a triple loop of feedback. So they might reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with how to publish a book. And I know that you're an author. Can I just like spend some time with you to find out like what your story was and what you did so I could learn, right? You know, spend 20 minutes giving them advice. Well, then they loop back with me. This is huge because I'm someone who spends a lot of time with women. I meet with at least six or seven women a week because my life's work is doing that. And I can count on my hands and toes the number of people who actually loop back with me hmm. after those conversations. And you want to loop back three times. So the first time you just loop back and say, hey, remember that advice that you gave to me? I'm Cynthia. They're not going to remember you the first time. Cynthia, you gave me this advice. It was amazing. Or I tweaked it. Or here was the outcome. Can I pick your brain again? I need to get some advice about the next thing. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I helped this person before. And now they're coming back to me. You're going to give advice again, get it. You're going to loop back again and tell them. And then you're going to do it one more time. By the third time, you're a superstar to this person. This person knows that the investment that they make in you, they're going to get a return on it. Mm -hmm. And not only are they going to get a return, hopefully the world's going to get a return on it. 
you're a person who they can keep top of mind for other opportunities, for other resources. That's the kind of person who I'm like sheepishly, do you need a mentor? Because I would like to be your mentor. It's like Minda Hartz. I don't know if anyone out there knows Minda Hartz, but she was someone who did this so well with me that I started calling myself her mentor. Um, and, and really wanted to be her mentor. The other is really great mentees. They define the relationship and put all the scaffolding and structure around it to make it easy for me. So they say, you know, I, I really think it would be great if we can meet once a quarter. Can we meet once a quarter for 30 minutes? And can I get that? I'll just work with your assistant to get that on your calendar. It's really easy. They didn't actually ask me to be their mentor, but somehow they've eked their way, you know, into my calendar for 30 minutes. And the ones that are really amazing invite me into the journey through how they negotiate and coordinate the meetings. So they'll send me an email a couple of days before this is, hey, we're meeting for 30 minutes. The last time that we met, we talked about this, this, and this, 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 and this was the outcome. These are gonna be my core questions for the next one. I have a mentee named Judy who does this so brilliantly. And so, you know, when you mentor other people and you see how they operate, it really helps you to understand that first, it is getting some kind of access to the individual or to the person. LinkedIn is amazing. And I have to say that this pandemic has presented enormous opportunities for getting access because I will hop on a Zoom for 15 minutes with somebody that I would have never taken the time to meet with in person. So it really opens up the aperture, but also deciding what does that relationship look like to you? What does it mean to you? Communicating that clearly, asking for what you need and being the kind of person that if they not only give you advice, but if they recommend you to someone else, you're going to make them look so good. Mm -hmm. They are going to want to mentor you. So that's one, you know, those are kind of the tips of the trade. But the other side of this, I think that's important to note is that to me, from my perspective, mentorship is simply someone whose value is in what they say to you when you're in the room with them. It's someone who is helping you to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement. And I think it's important that we open up our aperture around who can mentor us. Because I have to say, one of my most powerful mentors was a man named Kenneth Hainsworth, who was my uncle, who I had to read, drop the ball too out loud because he never even learned to read. Oh, wow. My goodness, could Uncle Kenny help me to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement? So it may be that what you're really looking for is a sponsor, maybe in the workplace, which is different. But if you're just looking for someone who can help you to figure out what is my next step, the people that are going to be the most helpful are the people who know you really well, who can see you, who you've developed a relationship with, who can recognize your patterns and speak their truth to you, and who are very wise, who have been around the block a few more times than you have, maybe in another context, but can really hold your feet to the fire and shine a mirror to you. And that may not be the executive that you think it is. Yeah, great advice, really good advice. So that leads me to wanna ask you about the crew. Tell us about the crew and what you're trying to achieve with it. Yes, really ambitious women, especially the ones who have some clarity about what they wanna realize and achieve in their lives, have this problem, which is that there's this little thing called life that often gets in the way. (laughs) Those same really ambitious women who have dreams and goals 
often spend a great deal of time caregiving. And when I say caregiving, I don't just mean for small children. I mean caregiving to their bosses, caregiving to people in the office, caregiving to their neighbors. And oftentimes our dreams and our ambitions are kind of put on the back burner, not because we want them to be, but just because there's only 24 hours in a day. Yeah. One of the things that we know about our goals is that we are 90% more likely to realize them when we've done two things. One is when we've shared them, spoken them out loud to one or more people. And number two, when we check in with one or more people on a regular basis, it's not rocket science. It's why Weight Watchers worked and Jean Dutch is like my Shiro founder. So the crew is basically creating an accountability circle for you. Uh, You apply to become a member and we match you with seven other women in your time zone. You become a crew. You get really clear about what you want to achieve and you upload those goals into our digital tracking tool. And then you meet with your crew once a month. They are the whisper in your ear, just like my mother used to tell me, you're so smart, you're so beautiful, you're so loved, you can do this. Um, But really providing a peer-based inquiry form of coaching one another once a month in order to help you to achieve your goals. And I founded the crew because I was meeting with so many women who had the clarity, but I realized didn't have the bandwidth to find the people. Yeah. And um, that, that wasn't me. I'm obsessed with advancing women. I go to a lot of women's conferences. I'm a part of a lot of women's networks, but I, it, it hit me in my conversations with women that the average woman, especially now, given the challenges of just meeting people, really need to be connected to communities like Fairy Godless. So that's why I founded it. I love it. It's brilliant. And by the way, I want to make sure the audience knows it's CRU. Yes. It's the, the website is thecrewcru.com, right? Absolutely. I, I actually tried to get the CREW, but it was taken. So you're more um, unique that way. It's good for you. SEO. Trust thank me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, one of the things that I admire most about you, and there are many, but you are an unbelievable marketer and you've really embraced the idea of personal brand. And I have to say the first time I saw you speak, you were wearing a gorgeous dress that was the same color as the cover of your book. And I just thought that was absolute genius. I think personal branding and marketing ourselves is something a lot of women struggle with. How do you get your strength? How do you build and flex that muscle? It's interesting because I get this question a lot and I'm always surprised when I get it because I'm like, really, am I that? Uh, I think first and foremost, you have to have clarity about why you're here to begin with. Because I don't really think of myself as a marketer in so much as I'm consistent. Um, I just have been caring deeply about the same people and the same thing for a really long time. And I stay true to that. And I'm quite dogmatic about it. And it's part of my drop the ball philosophy, because if I was to get distracted, I'll put that in quotes, with other issues, other topics, I actually believe I would become quite overwhelmed. I don't naturally have a lot of discipline for my time. So it's just very easy for me to say, this is what I'm going to focus on. Some parts are drawn from lessons from the past. So for example, 
I used to be a fundraiser. There was a time in my career when I was working for a nonprofit that I eventually ran called the White House Project. And I think I write about this and drop the ball. We were working on a collaboration with the shipping giant UPS. And they were going to give us a gift. There was just like this one final thing, which is I had to fill out whatever their grant application form was and send it in. Our team completed it in record time. We sent it off, but we didn't get any response. I'm following up with our contact. She's ghosting me. Well, finally, I get a hold of her and find out that they did indeed receive the application at their UPS headquarters via FedEx. <gasps> Long story short, we did not get the funding. And from then on out, I learned the importance of being the brand, being the brand. So I'm speaking at JP Morgan Chase tomorrow. I will be wearing their deep royal blue and a white blazer. If I'm speaking at Target, you will see me in a red dress. (laughs) I am, I am the brand of whoever it is I'm representing, even if that's me. So, you know, some of that marketing and branding just comes from tough lessons that I've learned and and having adopted things. But for me, it's all about the consistency and particularly when it comes to platforms, social media, I was just writing about this. I'm going to publish a LinkedIn newsletter on how to really create content and solidify your brand, not through the frequency of your posts and your content, but the consistency of the content. So it's what do you care deeply about that you're not going to tire of talking about and writing about and thinking about? What do you want people to rely on you for? What do you want them to come to you for? If I'm posting about something, it's going to be related to women's advancement or girls' advancement or the work-life integration required, you know, in order for us to live our best lives. Every single post, every single book, every article is somehow connected to that. And then I think the third piece of really capitalizing and developing your own personal brand is understanding what is your superpower? What do you do extraordinarily well with very little effort that you can really leverage in order to create impact in the world? I am a preacher's kid. You know, I am obsessed with stories. And so you'll see that thread in my writing. You'll see that thread in my posts. You'll see that thread in how I present myself. If you've listened carefully to this podcast, I've told a lot of stories. It's the only thing I feel like people ever really remember. So leveraging that superpower is what has caused me to appear as if I am curating and masterminding this amazing personal brand. When I just stick to talking about women and girls advancement and work-life integration, I make sure that I'm living the brand that I'm trying to represent. And I tell lots of stories. Love it. You have two kids? Two. (laughs) I have a a 12-year-old girl and I have a 15-year-old son. Wow. And so you're doing all this. You're running a company. You're on nonprofit boards. You're parenting two children. You're moving the car. Any advice for audience on how to handle all this? Obviously, dropping the ball. (laughs) Any other advice that you think everybody should hear, particularly in this year two of the pandemic? Yes, a lot of things. And if it's okay, I'm going to get very practical and fast hacks here on this. Um, You can read Drop the Ball and get an amazing framework for how to, you know, get clear about what matters most to you and all of that. At the top of the pandemic, certainly by three months into it, I had to really develop some strategies to ensure that 
I just didn't go crazy. Um, some of those include one in the book, I write about this document that I didn't think was a very big deal, but it's one of the most popular parts of the book, which is called a MEL, a management Excel list. Um, I created this document because it was a point in my marriage and life where I felt like I was doing everything in my home and it just wasn't sustainable. The management Excel list is a list of everything that's required to run your home smoothly. Everything from paying the taxes to moving that car for alternate side parking, getting people's haircuts, doing the laundry, going grocery shopping, everything, watering the plants, everything. And each person, depending upon their age in the family um, and their ability, should absolutely have a column. And what's really important is that every six months or so, especially right now in the midst of what we're dealing with, that you're revisiting that list and collectively talking about who's going to do what in order for your home to function. You cannot just take everything. The most important part of the management Excel list, the MEL, is the last column, which should be the no one column. This is the column where you mark off all of the things that everybody knows are not going to happen. Right now, no one is washing our car. No one is folding any laundry. There are just things that are that we all agree are not going to happen. And when they don't, nobody's upset. We're like, we all agreed it wasn't going to happen. Very important right now in the thick of things for you to start outsourcing, getting support in that way. Another strategy has to do, especially if you are still under the same roof as your family and you're still working. I know I am in my bedroom, which is also my yoga studio, which is also my office and all of that is your footwear. So very early on, I realized one of my biggest dilemmas was people in my house only know me as mom and babe. They, they really don't have an appreciation for the other roles that I play because I used to play those roles outside mm -hmm. of our apartment. So I have three sets of, of footwear. One set is founder and CEO of the crew. When I have on these slippers, that's what I am. I have another pair of slippers that are wife and mom. When I have these on, I am all yours. Okay. I am babe and mom right now. And maybe four months into the pandemic, I had to get a third pair of slippers. That was just me time slippers. Meaning right now I am just focused on me. I'm reading my book or watching my masterclass or sipping my tea. And when I walk out of my yoga bedroom, office, studio, my family looks down at my feet to figure out, okay, who's coming out of the room right now. And it basically helped me to create boundaries that all, all us all being under the same roof just didn't provide. I also spend at least 20 minutes a day focused on something that just truly brings me joy and has no other purpose. Usually it involves dancing to Beyonce or Shakira, <laughs> you know, or something, or just indulging myself. I love chocolate, making sure that you have what you need to nurture yourself. There is usually lavender oil within arm's reach of me. One of the most powerful exercises I encourage all of us to do is to pay attention and write down what other people say about you. I have these cards, these index cards, and I write down anytime someone gives me a compliment, maybe a member makes a comment in just a chat in the Zoom, I write it down. I have my daughter decorate these index cards and I look through them multiple times a day, especially when my internal self-talk is being negative and not advancing me spiritually or emotionally. I grab my cards and I just start reading them. Those are just some of the things that I've done 
you know, in the past year and a half in order to maintain my wellness and manage all of this. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we hear these stories and you listen to people like me and you see the bio that, yes, she has two kids and she has a company and she's got these nonprofit boards and she's a writer. But I don't think that we really delve into all the things that these women don't do. So if I could, I keep saying I'm going to do it. I feel like I should write a bio that has all the things I don't do. Um, because I think if you saw all the things I don't do, for example, I don't consume television. Um, it would make a lot more sense how it is that this person is able to then read so many books. So there's that too. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So I'm going to move to our fast five fun questions, if that's okay with you. Yes. What is your favorite karaoke song? Whitney Houston's How Will I Know. Oh, great song. Great song. <laughs> What's your favorite way to practice self-care or to find joy? Dancing. Yeah. Can you recommend a book to our audience besides Drop the Ball, which we should all read? I'm obsessed with books. There are so many. I will say read, if you haven't already, Amy Cuddy's Presence. She you know, is a colleague who wrote an amazing book that people often don't read because they're familiar with her TED Talk. She's done one of those popular TED Talks. And in her TED Talk, she introduces this concept of body poses in order to shift your thinking and what happens in your life. Presence is so much deeper. And I really feel like it's an important book about how to bring your boldest self to your biggest challenges. Love it. Who's a celebrity, dead or alive, that you would like to have dinner with? Tina Turner. Oh, good one. I saw her perform, I have to say, at the launch party of Oprah's Magazine. And I was in the front row and I mean, goes down as one of the oh highlights my of my God. life. Yeah. <gasps> Unbelievable. Oh my God. Okay. I just want to rub you. I wish this wasn't virtual. <laughs> Perks of my Estee Lauder job years ago. And last one, which I know you will be brilliant at, but you know this, that at Very God Boss, we have a tradition. We see that women are not good enough at bragging about ourselves or talking about our own achievements. So I'm going to ask you to be a role model for us. I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. and ask you to brag to us about you? You know, I'm someone who cares deeply about advancing women and girls. I wake up every morning very committed to that mission. I'm also someone who executes. You know, I believe that if you want something that you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. And every day I take that risk. It's not easy uh, I'm one of the very, very few Black women who have ever raised more than a million dollars or more in venture capital. I have a best-selling book. I have done a lot of things before for the very first time and done them very successfully. So I'm a really good investment, um, someone that you really want to place your bets on. But I've done that because I have a formula, which is to find other people who have already done what it is that you want to do. <laughs> Um, and take their advice and engage them in the process of your success. So I do have to, you know, give credit to all of those people, but I am someone who anyone who's ever opened a door for me, anyone who's ever invested in me with their advice, with expending their economic or social or political capital, any of my actual investors at the crew, they will tell you, I am so happy that I invested in Tiffany. 
not just because I'm going to get a return, but because the world's going to get a return. And I'm really proud of that. Well, I know our listeners are getting a return today. So thank you. To close, last question is, what is the one piece of advice that you think our audience should take away today? I fly Delta (laughs) and there's a Delta Airlines commercial that has, I don't know, 80,000 hits on it on YouTube. And I'm probably 79,000 of the hits. It's this commercial that starts with images of Delta airline employees in the morning. And it's like sunrise and they're all getting ready for work. And the voiceover then begins, what does it take to fly? It takes knowing that we've got a lot of work cut out for us. Flying brings more challenges every day. But if you ask the pilots, they'll tell you that the first thing they learned in flight school is that if you run before the wind, you can't take off. You have to turn into it and face it. The thing you push against is the thing that lifts you up. And I would leave everyone with this knowledge and this insight that as challenging as things might be right now, that if things are getting easier, it's probably because you're headed downhill, <laughs> but, but it's actually the challenge that pushes us past our comfort zone. That's what creates the breakthrough in our lives. And so as difficult as it is, accept it, turn into it, face it, um, but don't do it alone. Your, your leadership, your personal and professional journey is definitely a team sport. And Fairy Godboss is here and the crew is here to support you. That was incredible. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.